Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. USA Today, or as the great guru Jay, Jay Severin called them, the McPaper, has a piece out recently that has the headline, Is America Headed Towards a Civil War? Sanders, Nielsen, incidents show that it already has begun. I'm Adrian Slate. Thanks for tuning in. I didn't really want to get into this subject because I felt like a lot of people have been talking about it, but the more I kind of run into articles and and ran into different, uh, you know, different things online. It just started kind of culminating. And I think I need to give at least my perspective on this. So the USA Today uh, paper says the other day, author Tim Ricks asked whether we're heading towards a civil war. I don't believe we're to Kansas of the 1850s yet, but we seem to be lurking in that direction. He wrote Ricks was commenting on the uh, what Democratic rage would look like a Bloomberg opinion column that quotes political scientist Thomas Schaller as saying, I think we're at the beginning of a soft civil war. I don't know if this country gets out of it whole. Well, actually, this sort of thing seems to be well underway. Hollywood has basically turned its products and its award shows into showcases for the resistance. Americans already uh, sorting themselves into communities that are predominantly red or blue. And in heavily blue Washington, D.C., Trump staffers find that a lot of people don't want (coughs) to date them because of their politics. White House Press Secretary uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders was even kicked out of the Red Hen restaurant in Lexington, Virginia, because the owner and employees disliked her politics. This seems like a small thing, but it would have been largely unthinkable a generation ago. And in somewhat of a less soft manifestation, Homeland Security Secretary uh, Kirsten uh, Nielsen was bullied out of a restaurant by an angry Trump mob. And a similar mob also showed up at her house. Now, I did hear about that. Uh, They were actually chanting outside her house, no justice, no sleep, throughout the night. See, here's the problem. We've injected politics into everything, into movies, into music, businesses, products, and services. And this is what happens when government becomes your god. When you think that government is the all-almighty power in your life, then when that power is directed and taken away and is given... Given more of a conciliatory view for your political opposition, you're going to freak out. You're going to lose your mind. And that's what's happening. And the left wants conservatives, more importantly, they want the Trump supporter, to lash out. So they're going to do everything they can to push the envelope until, it's, until it snaps, until somebody just gives in. And that they're doing this so they can blame it on right-wing extremism. And then they have justification to do what they want to do. It's like Antifa, you know? They go out and start beating people up. We're getting white supremacy. Well, you're not judge, jury, and executioner. Where's the due process? Where's the, where's the rule of law? That comes in first before you can start wielding your judgment, you know, your vigilante just, justice on people. So we might see another event, you know, happen, an extreme leftist, going out gunning up a place or, you know, attacking someone. And it's going to be spun as right-wing extremism. And, of course, the sleuths out there online are going to start finding the Facebook pages and the Instagram accounts and showing that, no, they weren't right-wing extremists. But Jim Acosta even tries to act as though it's only the right who is responsible for any discourse in this country, you know, due to politics. Because he's on, you know, he's the, he's the impartial one, Jim Acosta. Here he is at a recent Trump rally as he gets called out by somebody's grandma. 
And with all this talk of civility, Wolf, I can tell you that not all of the people in this crowd here in West Columbia, South Carolina, treated us with that level of civility that we all think that Americans should be entitled to across this country. Uh, while we have had some people come up to us and be very nice this evening, I did have uh, an elderly woman come up to me just a short while ago. We have some video we can show you where she came up to me and said that uh, we at CNN should get the F uh, out of this auditorium at this high school in West Columbia. Uh, she then turned to the crowd and whipped them up into a frenzy, uh, calling on us to leave this auditorium before President Trump arrives, Wolf. But of course, as you know, uh, we are here to do our jobs and report the news and report on this rally, and we're not going anywhere, Wolf. Uh, you're doing an excellent job. Now, I think by now we've all heard about Sarah Huckabee Sanders being kicked out of the Renhead restaurant, which it's all right, it's a private business. Owners can do what they wish. The market will respond when those like myself see this in the news and go, you know what? I ain't dying in there. I'm not dying in there ever again. That's how it works. The market will correct the, the wrongs and the, and the misdeeds of the business owner if they want to you know, discriminate business. It's the same thing with the gay cake uh, incident. You know, the, the gay wedding, they want to force the cake baker into baking the cake. Well, if the cake doesn't want to, the cake baker doesn't want to bake it. Well, then he has the right to not bake it, but then everyone else has the right to not patronize their business. Or maybe they agree with it and then they ultrally patronize. I don't know. It's all about how the market works. But if bystanders watch something, you know, someone not causing a commotion in a business being refused service because of their political views and because of who employs them, They'll decide not to spend their money in their establishment. That's how it works. The red hen will get the initial infusion of a knee-jerk reactionary surge of leftist support, but how about we take a look at that business six months from now? See what that looks like. Maybe a year. You know, Republicans and Trump supporters are not going to forget. But for the owners of the red hen to stalk and harass them afterwards, that's a bit over the edge. Fox News reported that after getting kicked out of the red hen, Sarah Sanders and her husband returned to the hotel they were kind of done for the evening, but the rest of the group went to another restaurant. And Mike Huckabee talked about this incident, saying, but the rest of her family went across the street to a different restaurant. The owner of the Red Hen, nobody told this, then followed them across the street, called people and organized a protest, yelling and screaming at them from outside the other restaurant, creating a scene. So, And what's really amazing is apparently some of the in-laws that were in the group are liberals. So it doesn't matter. It's, you know, they blame this whole incident on the president's stance on LGBTQ rights or whatever, you know, because many of the servers in that restaurant were gay. But again, he is the most gay friendly president we've had in history. He actually was never against gay marriage, whereas Obama was until 2012. He saw it, you know, an opportunistic moment to go ahead and flip on his uh, his stance and say he evolved, you know. So this is another false narrative that in order to, you know, create a reason to hate them. You know, I've always said they've dehumanized Trump into a caricature, someone who shouldn't be afforded natural rights that everyone else enjoys under the constitution. But you know, that's what, that's their goal. Dehumanize him, make him look like a caricature of a person. And then, you know, come back later and basically tar and feather him. But the good thing about Trump is he does push back. <laughs> I mean, the, listen to the tweet that he had in response to the red hen. The Red Hen restaurant should focus more on cleaning its filthy canopies, its filthy doors and windows. Badly needs a paint job rather than refusing to serve a fine person like Sarah Huckabee Sanders. I always had a rule. If a restaurant is dirty on the outside, it's dirty on the inside. That's awesome. 
So say what you will of, of Donald Trump. He totally deflected and uh, he deflected the premise and he took a, a shot in a different direction. Um, but he was effective with it. And, you know, this is basically Trump calling the Red Hen restaurant little low energy Red Hen. But let's look at also what happened over the weekend. The attorney general of Florida, Pam Boddy, was chased out of a movie. It was a movie premiere and she was spit upon by some guy twice her size only because of her political beliefs. Peter Fonda out there calling for the president's son to be locked up with pedophiles and to be raped. I mean, how about this poster that's been going around for uh, Steve Miller? Wanted. Stephen Miller, white nationalist, Trump lackey, and architect of both the Muslim ban, which is uh, sadly the travel ban that's been overturned, Trump versus Hawaii, and family separation, which is actually illegal immigration policy. But anyways... We believe that Stephen Milter, uh, Miller is guilty of kidnapping 2,500 children, crimes against humanity, banning Muslims, which he never did, promoting Nazi, which he never did, white supremacy, which he never did, and Islamic, uh, Islamophobic ideologies. Last seen, 920 I Street, Northwest. Reward, defeating fascism and the Trump regime. It's amazing. These people are just unbelievable. But, the, I mean, Department of Homeland Security employees are seeing violent threats with greater frequency because of the immigration policy. According to an official knowledge, uh, with knowledge of a recent threat assessment, this from, I believe, the Wall Street Journal, um, around two dozen threat reports were issued in the past few days, primarily against immigration and custom enforcement officers, according to the same official. Each of these reports is generally related to a specific online threat all employees are personally contacted by DHS security if they are the threat of violence, an official said. In one example, a senior DHS officer uh, living in Washington, D.C. area found a burnt and decapitated animal on his front porch, according to an official with knowledge of the incident. Maxine Waters, she was grandstanding over the weekend, encouraging all of this discourse. And even Cory Booker gave this strange endorsement, rebuke, endorsement of it all. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome anymore, anywhere. Do you support that kind of appeal to, for, to tell people... Uh, People like Sarah Sanders, for instance, at the restaurant, but in particular what Maxine Waters said, to tell anyone from the cabinet, you're not welcome, and confront them. So, um, first of all, I, I subscribe to an ideal of radical love, uh, the kind that my parents taught me, participants in the civil rights movement, that, that yes, you should protest, yes, you should confront evil and injustice, but do it in the ways that uh, Martin Luther King did, and, and Fred Shuttlesworth did, and uh, and other great leaders uh, who, who always did it by recognizing the dignity uh, of even those who you uh, oppose, even those who are trying to destroy you, even those that hate you. And so I, I worry in our country right now uh, that we're descending to a hatred of American hating American. 
that is not going to solve our problems. Uh, I, I call on all of America not to sit comfortably and be bystanders to the injustices that are going on when it comes to this immigration system. Uh, the injustices of separation of families that are going on of separating American children uh, who are broken criminal justice system that has thousands of children right now incarcerated in the United States of America who haven't even had a trial yet. I, I think we all should be not sitting comfortably by, idly by, while these moral outrages are going on and we should protest. But I, I, we've got to get to a point in our country uh, where we can talk to each other where we are all seeking a more beloved community. And some of those tactics that people are advocating for, to me, uh, don't reflect that spirit. And so, uh, yes, if I saw an administrator, administrator uh, in a, uh, uh, out and about, uh, I, there's nothing wrong with, with confronting that person, uh, but not to lead with love and to do it in a way uh, that is more reflective of the values that we are trying to reject in our country is unacceptable to me. Uh, let's elevate those tactics from people that we hail in our nation, from Gandhi to King, uh, and, and reflect those values in our urgent protests, uh, in our urgent activism, but always leading with love in our country. And of course, Trump comes back with another hilarious response to Maxine Waters. Congressman Maxine Waters, an extraordinarily low IQ person, <laughs> has become, together with Nancy Pelosi, the face of the Democrat Party. She has just called for harm to supporters, of which there are many, of the Make America Great Again movement. Be careful what you wish for, Max. <laughs> Unbelievable. But Tom Fitton of Judicial Watch has jumped in to file a complaint against her rhetoric, writing, In encouraging individuals to create crowds who will push back on the President Trump's cabinet members at a private business establishment and in seemingly trying to prevent these cabinet officials from obtaining basic necessities without fear of assault or violence, Representative Waters seems to have been in violation of House rules, specifically a member, delegate, resident commissioner, officer, or employee of the House shall conduct at all times in a manner that shall reflect credibility on the House, House Rule 23, Clause 1, we hereby request that the Office of Con Congressional Ethics Conduct a, uh, or Congressional Ethics conduct a preliminary investigation into whether Representative Maxine Waters violated House rules in encouraging attacks on Trump cabinet's uh, officials. Representative Maxine Waters incited violence and assault against members of President Trump's cabinet, stated Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton. It is urgent that the House ethics quickly act to hold her accountable for this dangerous incitement. And of course, she's out there denying it. I have not called for the harm of anybody. This president has lied again. And so our members of the Democratic caucus are talking about civility, and that makes good sense. But protest is civility. Protest is about peaceful resistance uh, to the kind of actions that we're experiencing from this president. Oh, yeah, they wouldn't call for violence and cheer on the death of Kellyanne Conway. No, no, not at all. Here's what I wonder. Sally, let me ask you about this. Uh, there's an interesting soundbite from Kellyanne Conway uh, a couple days ago on Fox. She said this, saying that half the country, half of Twitter would celebrate if she were shot. Watch. If I were shot and killed tomorrow, half of Twitter would explode in applause and excitement. This is the world we live in now. First of all, do you think that's true, that, that half of Twitter would celebrate someone's, you know, uh, injury? Uh, I, I, I mean, from the bottom of my heart and soul, I hope it's not true. I, I think don't there's... think it's true. They already did. They did to Charles Krauthammer. They cheered the beating of Rand Paul by his neighbor. Remember that, uh, that train that crashed with the GOP contingency on it? 
Let's look at Michael Ian Black. You know that lame comedian? I guess he was on the state, which I always called the poor man's kids in the hall. Metaphor upon metaphor upon metaphor, talking about a train crash of GOP people. Uh, it's, a, it's a sign. GOP and the dump truck collide. God acts in mysterious ways. Yeah, unbelievable. One said the trash meeting just uh, happened a little bit before schedule. Yeah, that was the, that was the uh, train crash. So yeah, they didn't act like that. How about when they um, praised the disaster in Houston from the hurricane? That submerged the entire city because they voted for Trump. Seriously. Yeah. You don't remember that? <laughs> yeah. It's unbelievable because actually a charity did this. I mean, it's, he actually put up, one person put up, when you're about to tweet, hashtag pray for Texas, but then you remember and shows the electoral map of Texas having 36 electoral votes in the red. Charitable Human said, I just can't bring myself to even consider providing aid to any red state. Let them clean their own mess. Yeah, they didn't cheer that, did they? You know, they the, those charities that they have so they feel like they can get into heaven for being a good person. How about when they ridiculed a father whose daughter was killed in the Parkland shooting simply because of the fact that he was wearing a Trump t-shirt? Oh, Lord, that's we need to go ahead and strike down that guy. Yeah, that's, that's civility. You know, it's, it was unbelievable. Some of the stuff... I have sympathy for him losing his daughter, but oh my God, the irony. Yeah, that's what somebody said. His t-shirt speaks volumes. My prayers go out to his daughter, Meadow. I'm disgusted with his t-shirt. He can blame himself forever for Trump doing nothing. How sad. That's what somebody said. With supporting people who support the people that put the guns in the hands of these uh, people capable of killing his daughter. I mean, these people are unhinged. How about... The recent acts of journalists hoping for the deaths of Supreme Court justices and also elected officials. Yeah. How about this this guy, Eric Thrum, a writer who's uh, he's written stuff for Esquire and Rolling Stone, among other publications. He's also the founder, producer and host of Drunk Education. He tweeted, Neil Gorsuch eventual death should be celebrated as a national holiday and followed up with McConnell, too. But you already knew that. Now, see, the reason why they're mad about about Neil Gorsuch is because, uh, and this is one of the things I have to go, you know what? Uh, Yeah, we got Trump, but Trump has been doing some great things. And the appointment of Neil Gorsuch to the Supreme Court has helped us have things like the 5-4 ruling that basically destroyed uh, the labor unions, forcing those who work in government to contribute to labor unions, even though they're not a part of the labor unions. You know what I mean? That kind of coercion that was going on. The Supreme Court also said that, that, um, Pro-abortion advocates can't force anti-abortion pregnancy crisis centers for, you know, forcing them to have some sort of uh, banner saying, hey, you've got an option to go have your kid aborted. You know, those kind of things. Like we said with the travel ban, the Supreme Court's been on fire this week, and so they they feel the need to attack Neil Gorsuch and they want to kill him, you know, and they want to make it a national holiday because these people are heartless. They despise you and I. They despise people like Amy Mech, who on Twitter, you know, she's continually put her beliefs um, out in public about how she views Islamic extremism as being an issue and her political views on the right. She gets doxxed. All of her personal information released by the Huffington Post. Her husband is canned from his job. Their in-laws' businesses were targeted. I mean, they've even doxxed ICE agents, releasing all their information and addresses too. So the left hates us. And we better realize that 
Because this is the kind of drivel that they're putting out. A leftist columnist for a Univision-owned website was encouraging this. Let me read a little bit of this for you. Do you think that being asked to leave a restaurant or having a meal interrupted or being called in public is bad? My fascism-enabling friends, this is only the beginning. This is all going to get more extreme, and it should, said Hamilton Nolan. One thing that people who wield great power often fail to viscerally understand is what it feels like to have power wielded against you. We actually kind of know that because IRS targeting and, you know, Fast and Furious and, you know, Benghazi and all those things. This imbalance is the source of many of the most monstrous decisions that get made by powerful people and institutions. The people who start wars do not have bombs dropped on their houses. The people who pass laws that in, in a, incarcerate others never have to face the full force of the prison system themselves. The people who design the economic systems that inflicts poverty on millions are themselves rich. This sort of insulation from the real-world consequences of political and economic decisions made, uh, made by them is very easy for powerful people to approve of things happening to the rest of us that they would never, ever tolerate themselves. You know, it's funny. That's what we call. That's what we cry. Because, but we want to do it peacefully. We want to do it through elections. We're tired of government being wielded on us as it was for eight years under the Obama administration, as it was uh, under the Clinton administration, and even kind of under the George Bush administration because he was pretty progressive. But, you know, still, that's what we deal with. You know, he goes on further to say a well-designed political system would have a built-in feedback system to ensure that those making decisions are also subject to the uh, consequences of those decisions. Minor versions of this are floated every now and then, put Congress on Obamacare, pay elected officials what their average constituents earn. But in aggregate, of course, we have nothing like this feedback mechanism in America. Titans of money congregate on Wall Street and titans of government congregate on D.C. And they all make decisions that often disenfranchise and impoverish and frustrate the dreams of people far away. And then they go to nice restaurants and nice houses and have nice, well-paid careers for decades to come. So that's what his justification is for all of this mob rule. I mean, what's crazy is this guy who basically starts talking about how the U.S. has had thousands of domestic bombings per year in the 1970s. This is what happens when citizens decide in mass that their political system is corrupt, racist, and unresponsive. The people out of power have only just begun to flex their dis uh, dissatisfaction. The day will come sooner than you all think when the Trump administration officials will look back fondly on a time when all they had to worry about was getting hollered at at a Mexican restaurant. When you aggressively screw with people's lives, although he's dropped the F-bomb, you should not be surprised when they decide to screw with yours. What's crazy here is, Mr. Nolan, we do have a function that will allow us to get government on track. It's called Article 5 Convention of States. But, you know, never mind that. So he starts pointing at the Trump administration, but it veers off into his own people. That's what Bernie Sanders is doing. He lives in these great houses, and he's got two houses. You know, he's making tons of money. Elizabeth Warren making tons of money. Kamala Harris making tons of money and wielding power. And yet they're not accountable for anything, are they? But this guy is one of the people that are at the forefront of the Civil War of the Democrat Party we talked about. And they've actually had some victories pretty recently. You know, um, they, we had this one lady who won her primary just the other day. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Big-time socialist, big-time progressive. And, in fact, 
one person, uh, tweet, uh, one blue check journalist tweeted out, to get the crowd to quiet down at the victory uh, party, the speaker was yelling, mic check. Crowd yelling back, mic check. For you kids, this is from Occupy. Occupy is coming to Congress. Exactly. That's the problem. Occupy has taken over the Democrat Party. Listen to Ali Alexander speaking about this. <laughs> so again, I just want us to understand. Yesterday's occupiers are today's resistors, and those might be tomorrow's elected Democrats. Now that they've had a media that's turned a blind eye to Eric Clayton, or gives less coverage to the C. Scalise, imagine what they are going to do to us. See, my message isn't here for the Rally for Peace, hashtag Rally for Peace if you're on Twitter. My message is to the left. But, you know, going back to that article, the writer doesn't understand the Constitution at all. He doesn't even recognize the Article 5 Convention of States is the feedback mechanism to change the government beyond a president and a Congress. But what's the other mechanism? The right to bear arms, the right to protect yourself. And we're just over the anniversary of the congressional baseball shooting, which happened um, June 14th of 2017. You know, we can go back to that. We can take a look at those days because it was a Bernie bro that was responsible for this crap. You know, going out there and shooting up the place. Yep, a Bernie bro. And that's one of the things we got to realize is, you know, they're unhinged to the point where they don't mind pulling a trigger. You know, they don't mind physically assaulting and attacking people on a baseball field. Because, you know, it does. It's, it's one of those things where if it backs up their cause, you know, they, they're fine with it. They can justify the violence, you know? In fact, there was a text by Scalise that said, Shaken but okay. Gunman was there to kill as many Republican members as possible. Grateful to have Capitol Police. All we can say right now. Yeah, James T. Hodgkinson, who had a big Bernie Sanders Facebook page, you know? And then you got that heart-filled left, you know, that compassionate left who never says anything bad. They didn't tweet out too bad about the GOP Scalise not being hurt worse. The GOP should blame themselves. They're trying to strip health care from millions of us. Yeah, they always can justify it. And what's even more concerning are tweets like this from Jesse Ben. For violent resistance to work, it need to be organized. Individual acts can be understandable, but likely counterproductive and, and ineffective. Oh, yeah, we got to get it together. You can't have one guy go out and shoot up a baseball field. What's even crazier is the fact that there was a, a Washington Post article that came out in April of 2012, right? Planting the seeds for this. They were talking about how, you know, let me read through it. In a city obsessed with trappings of power, they are ul the ultimate status symbol. The wire-wearing, black SUV-drying protective crews that come with high-level government service. So when it came to light last week that the Attorney General Jeff Sessions had ordered the United States Marshal Service to extend a full prote protective detail to Betsy DeVos, the Education Secretary, for as much as $1 million a month, many people began to wonder about the protective pecking order in the Trump era. The last column of this, the last uh, paragraph, is really interesting. But when the billionaire Wilbur L. Ross Jr., the Commerce Secretary goes to dinner at a fancy Georgetown restaurant. Bodyguards sit nearby. When members of Congress practice in the early mornings in an Alexandria, Virginia public park for their congressional baseball game, 
plainclothes United States Capitol Police are sitting there in a black SUV two months before that shooting happened. All right. So news media aiding and embedding this stuff. This is why you don't give up your arms. This is why you stand for the Second Amendment. It's there to protect you from not only a tyrannical government, but also from an extreme revolutionary force trying to overthrow the government and attacking you for your political beliefs. But luckily, the GOP recognized this unhinged mentality, and they had this effective ad that they put out just the other day, capitalizing on all of this craziness. Just listen to this. A few years ago, ideas that we talked about were thought to be fringe ideas, radical ideas, extremist ideas. Those ideas are now mainstream. I, I, I just don't even know why there aren't uprisings all over the country. And if you see anybody from that cabinet in a restaurant, in a department store, at a gasoline station, you get out and you create a crowd. And you push back on them. And you tell them they're not welcome. Do something about your dad's immigration practices, you feckless c- What's Uncle Tom but for white women who disappoint other white women? One way you get rid of Trump is a crashing economy, so please bring on the recession. When was the last time an actor assassinated a president? I have thought an awful lot about blowing up the White House. <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm glad that they're using it to their advantage. But this resistance push for violence and the media's continued hackery stems from something we've covered in the past, the coordinated efforts of Democracy Alliance. And we covered Democracy Alliance when they had their first meeting. You know, the last meeting had the likes of Linda Sarsour and George Soros speaking, and they had another meeting in Atlanta to redouble their efforts. They had to refocus. And this is from the Washington Free Beacon. Prominent Democrats such as Terry McAuliffe and D.C. Chair Tom Perez attended the latest Democracy Alliance meeting this week in Atlanta, where party officials and liberal groups met behind closed doors with the millionaires and billionaires they rely on to fund the effort to regain progressive power. There was no visible media presence at the group's secretive four-day conference at a luxurious intercontinental Buckhead Atlanta which was described by the group as an upscale urban retreat in the city's most prestigious neighborhood. The conference again featured only off the record events closed to members of the media. There was however, a strong security presence at the hotel where attendees were instructed to be careful with all conference materials and to dispose of conference documents only in specially identified secure recycling bins as an extra precaution A departure from the group's November conference in California, attendees were given an abridged agenda at a glance, a sheet to carry around with their name tags as an alternative to carrying around the full conference agenda. Yeah, don't want to get that out in the public like it did last time. The main agenda for the conference, charting the course of progressive power, shows that some big names such as Democracy Alliance's founder, George Soros, who attended the last meeting, which was revealed by the Free Beacon, He stayed away from the Atlanta meeting, though Soros' group, such as Open Society Foundation, was present. Top party operative David Brock was also not seen at this week's meeting, though groups he leads, such as Media Matters and American Bridge, were present to brief attendees. Democracy Alliance operates by recommending liberal uh, organizations 
to Wealthy Alliance partners who are each obligated to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars each year on supporting the approved groups such as ACLU, the Women's March, Priorities USA, Media Matters for America, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, Indivisible, and Color for Change. According to the Alliance's participation guidelines, the group strives for a to create a safe place for progressive funders and movement leaders to meet and discuss issues of common interest and develop relationships through dialogue and networking. It goes on to say, it's a conference that serves as an opportunity to recruit new partners for existing partners to discuss how best to allocate their money and for groups to strategize how to best work together to build a more progressive future. A pamphlet titled a new DNC was prepared for the party's organization to present to the donors. Other panel or other panels included discussions on engaging donors of color where new research and plans were presented for a collaborative working group to engage high net worth uh, donors of color. The findings presented to those in attendance included donor interviews, network case studies, and a report entitled The Apparitional Donor, Understanding and Engaging High Net Worth Donors of Color. A number of current and prospective state attorney generals who were advancing a progressive agenda by leveraging the power of politics, policy, and litigation also took part in the secretive conference. Mark Herring, right here in Virginia, we got to vote his ass out, the attorney general of Virginia, Carl Racine, the Attorney General of District of Columbia, Josh Shapiro, the Attorney General of Pennsylvania, Josh Stein, the Attorney General of North Carolina, January Contreras, who is running for Attorney General of Arizona, were all in attendance, which is interesting because that is George Soros's new focus, Attorney General elections. He's not looking at the big ones anymore. He's looking at Attorney General elections, probably on redistricting, probably on, uh, you know, trying to guide from the legal side. Liberal billionaire Tom Steyer also updated attendees on the need to impeach campaign. Most of the networking took place at the Intercontinental's Bourbon Bar. Sitting at the bar were two women with a Washington Free Beacon report on overheard comments made by Teachers Union President Randy Weirdgarden about strike plans in Puerto Rico, with one of the women commenting, I need a drink. (laughs) Yeah, I need one, too, after reading all this. The agenda includes participation guidelines telling attendees they are entitled to the expectation that their conference experience and their identity should remain confidential. It asks everyone to refrain from leaving sensitive material in public spaces and to respect the privacy of others in attendance. Now, interestingly enough, that is the shroud of democracy alliance has come to light because they haven't been 100 percent forthright with hiding it but you have to understand this is an organization that is the umbrella group to all of those media matters organizations who are working with google and facebook and twitter and and youtube they're also uh coercing groups like color of change what they do is they fund and strategize all of these little subgroups, all these little sub 501c3, 501c4s. And then they keep it very decentralized so they can go out, Indivisible can go out and do its thing. You know, Color of Change can go out and do its Black Lives Matter protest and what have you. And from there, they devise their resistance movement. So the media doing what they're doing, the fact that the IG report came out, which could blow the lid off of, you know, the corruption that has been happening for decades on the Democrat side and some in the Republican ranks, you know, with the Wiener laptop, that if that comes out and the the fact that 
Hillary Clinton's been to Epstein Island. Bill Clinton's been to Epstein Island. Apparently, the New York PD found so much stuff on it that it freaked them out that they were going to issue, they were going to dump this stuff public. And the FBI were told by the NYPD, you better reopen this investigation right before the election or we're going to dump this stuff all out. This IG report connects to that. And because this came out and shed light to everything, all of a sudden you had this illegal immigration craziness come up. You've got what's happening down in Mexico, which we're going to cover in a minute, about the Mexican presidential candidate calling for Mexican citizens to bum rush our border, who's funded by George Soros as well. You've got all this stuff going on, and then all of a sudden they're using the immigration debate that is this false narrative that just popped up out of the blue as a reason to physically attack members of the Trump administration, and it's all connected to Soros. It's all connected to that his Cloward and Piven strategy that they're devising with the resistance. We have to watch out for what's coming down the road. We also have to worry about the backlash that we're going to talk about here in just a moment. The walkaway movement, a phenomenon of where Democrats who thought that they were on the side that sided with their beliefs are suddenly realizing these people are nuts and we're walking away. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. The Adrian Slade Broadcast. So for every action, there's a reaction. And what you're seeing with the progressive left as they purify themselves into this communist Marxist movement, the Democrat socialist or Democratic socialist, the Bernie Sanders kind of stylings, you are seeing... Another reaction, people are fleeing the Democrat Party because what they thought it stood for doesn't really stand for that anymore. And there's a new movement. I want you to listen to this uh, video, at least the audio portion, and listen to this new movement called Hashtag Walk Away. Once upon a time, I was a liberal. Well, to be honest, less than a year ago, I was still a liberal. I became a liberal because I felt I had found a tribe whose values aligned with my own. I staunchly reject racism of any kind. I reject the marginalization of any human being based off of their gender or sexual orientation. I reject tyrannical groupthink. I reject a system which allows an ambitious, misinformed, and dogmatic mob to suppress free speech, create false narratives, and apathetically steamroll over the truth. I reject the acceptance of junk science and superstition to advance ideological agendas. I reject hate. These are the reasons why I became a liberal. And these are the same reasons why I am now walking away. For years now, I have watched as the left has devolved into intolerant, inflexible, illogical, hateful, misguided, ill-informed, un-American, hypocritical, menacing, callous, ignorant, narrow-minded, and at times, blatantly fascistic behavior and rhetoric. Liberalism has been co-opted and absorbed by the very characteristics it claims to fight against. For years now, I've watched as people on the left have become anesthetized to their own prejudices and bigotry, and the prejudices and bigotry of those around them who echo their values. I have watched as formerly sensible people who claim to reject racism have come to embrace the principles of universally hating and blaming all of society's problems on all people who have white skin. I have witnessed the irony of advocacy for gender equality morph into blatant hatred and intolerance of men and masculinity. 
I've seen the once earnest fight for equality for the LGBT community mutate into an illogical demonization of heteronormativity and the push to vilify and attack our conventional concepts of gender. These same self-proclaimed victims of intolerance now turning on the gay community that they attached themselves to to advance their agenda, now calling gay people privileged and themselves victims of injustice. I have watched as the left has allowed themselves to become hypnotized by false narratives and conclusions perpetuated by social justice warriors who misrepresent and misconstrue facts, evidence, and events to confirm their own biases that everyone who does not comply with their prejudicial conclusions and follow their orders is a racist, a bigot, a Nazi, a white supremacist, homophobic, Islamophobic, xenophobic, misogynistic, and alt-right extremist. And I have watched as they have used these heartless and carelessly assigned labels to intimidate, threaten, bully, silence, attack, unemploy, blacklist, and destroy anybody who dares to fight back. They'll come for me, and then they'll come for you. And worst of all, the Democratic Party and the liberal media has embraced, affirmed, aided, and abetted this cult ideology. In an effort to gain voters and maintain power, the Democratic Party that I once loved has joined forces with the extremist left. The Democratic Party and the liberal media now believe their own ill-gotten conclusions and have ominously decided that they, and only they, know the remedy for society's ills. The left has decided that the solution to problems with race relations in America is more racism. The left believes that attacking, insulting, and dehumanizing one group of people elevates another. The left now believes that there are no boundaries when telling lies, omitting the truth, or misrepresenting facts when telling the news, because their end justifies their means. The left has now decided that its point of view is the only acceptable one, and that suppressing, censoring, and banning open dialogue and debate is virtuous and progressive. The Democratic Party has adopted a deleterious belief system, happily and without skepticism, separating people into groups based off of identity and then organizing them into camps of victims and oppressors. If you are a person of color, an LGBT person, a woman, or an American immigrant, the Democratic Party wants you to know that you are a victim and destined to stay that way. They will insist that you are a victim doomed to exist within a system that is rigged against you. That you are a victim of systemic oppression. That you are a victim of your circumstances and that no amount of hard work or motivational action will ever allow you to overcome your victimhood or the privilege of those around you. This is perhaps the Democratic Party's greatest and most insidious lie. But if you are a minority in America today, the left-wing politicians and the liberal media don't want you to ever discover this lie. So they bombard us with stories designed to reinforce the narrative that you are in danger, that you cannot succeed. They manipulate your fears and concerns by telling you that you are disadvantaged, disempowered, and disposable to everyone except them. They will tell you that you need them. They will tell you that you are only safe under their supervision. They will promise to liberate you from all that chains you. And then, they will do absolutely nothing for you. Once upon a time, I was a liberal. But liberalism has changed, and I will no longer be a part of an ideology or political party that represents everything that contradicts my values of unity, equal opportunity, personal empowerment, compassion, and love. So I am walking away, and I encourage all of you 
to do the same. Walk away. Amazing. So that's where everything's headed. That is where the Democrat Party's headed. They have a civil war going on, but the bystanders who just thought that they were voting in liberty and voting in the ability to do whatever they wish because they have this preconceived notion that the GOP and the conservatives want to take away all of your abilities to have an abortion or, you know, whatever the case may be, when really the libertarians and the conservatives are like, hey, just leave us alone. Take government out. We're not trying to dictate the morality of the culture. They can do that on their own. Everyone should be susceptible to their own interpretation of what God requires of us. It's not for a political party to determine. But the left has painted the GOP as such, and the Democrats have been in that frame of mind for the most part until this takeover has occurred. And now a good chunk of these Democrats are realizing this isn't the party for me. This isn't the party that I aligned with. And I'm out of here. Hashtag walk away. So with all this incivility that's going on, with all this craziness that's happening, realize the midterms are coming up and where they think that they're taking the upper hand, they're actually shooting themselves in the head. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. You can check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, iHeart. You can get the free Roku channel in your streaming store. Search Adrian Slade Show. Donate on Patreon, whatever the amount, or become a $2 a month subscriber. Patreon.com slash Adrian Slade Show.